friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. Now ready to go to God's Word, I'm going to ask everyone to please rise from their seats. And today we'll be taking a look at Psalm 8, and we will be re- reading together aloud verses 1 to 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the vengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we are humbled by the grace that you pour out upon our lives. Indeed, we are amazed at what you do and how you grant us favor upon favor in our lives, though we know that we are totally undeserving. And Lord, this morning we ask that we might have an encounter with you, an encounter through your word. And we pray, O God, humbly, that you might open our minds and open our hearts. We pray, Lord, that the blessed Trinity and the Holy Spirit might be in our midst in a very manifest way. I humbly ask for myself that you might give me utterance and wisdom, that I might think clearly, and that I might speak plainly so that your people might understand your love for them, so that your people might understand your majesty and your greatness and your splendor. I pray, Father, that I might do justice to your word, O God. So anoint my lips of clay so that your people might know you in a far deeper and better way. And whatever is going to be achieved today, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, God's Majesty Displayed in Puny Man. Now, we read Psalm 8 a while ago, and probably some of you are wondering, what is the main theme of the book of Psalm, of the book of Psalm, specifically Psalm 8? What is the theme of Psalm 8? And I think it's very easy, actually, to spot 
the theme of Psalm 8. All you have to do is look at the first line or the first verse and then go to the ending line or the last line and you will see one similar phrase. And what would be that similar phrase? Well, the phrase would go something like this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So clearly, if we are going to talk about the theme of this particular passage or this particular psalm, it has to do with the majesty of God. God is a majestic God. And all of us would, would do ourselves service if you and I understand what the majesty of God is all about. Now, sandwiched in between those similar phrases is God's gracious and undeserved dealings with man, which actually could be broken down into three parts, which I would like to show you at this time, and we're going to flash that on the screen right now. First of all, we will see God's majesty displayed in powerless man, and you find that in verses 1 and 2. After that, here's what you and I will see in the following verses. We will also see God's majesty displayed with undeserving man. That would be in verses 3 to 6. So that would be our second point. And finally, we will also see God's majesty displayed with man created from nothing. And ruling everything as you and I will see later on. This is found in verses 7 to 9. And so that is what we will be talking about in this particular passage. So if you are feeling that you have been overlooked by God, I hope to be able to change your mind this morning. For you to understand that God never overlooks anybody. He is actually a God who watches over us. He is a God who knows us intimately. He knows what we are going through. He knows our trials. He knows our adversities. He knows the time when you and I laugh. He knows the times when you and I cry. God understands everything about us. So I'm praying that as we study Psalm chapter Eight, you and I will understand the goodness of God upon mankind. But not only that, there are probably some of you who are facing overwhelming odds in your life. And you're probably thinking, how can I overcome this? How can I conquer this? How can I win over this trial and adversity? And again, Psalm 8 is a passage that will inspire you. I'd like you to understand, however, that to best appreciate the psalm, we have to do a little background study. And you and I will understand that this psalm was written by David, actually inspired by a wonderful event that happened in his life. And this has to do with the story of David and Goliath. Now, if you remember that story... Goliath would march on top of a hill, and he would look down on the valley of Elah, and there he would see 
the Israelite army camping out. And day in and day out, he was taunting and challenging the armies of Israel. And he was asking them to bring out a champion to challenge him. Of course, you and I know that Goliath was the champion of the Philistines. He was a nine-foot-nine giant. He was very skilled. He was very seasoned. He was a great and mighty warrior, the best among the Philistines. So again, he was challenging the armies of Israel, and yet nobody was stepping up to the plate. David was hearing all these taunts, and he must have wondered, why is it that Saul was not stepping up to the plate? Why is he not facing the challenge against Goliath? After all, King Saul was the tallest Israelite. He was head and shoulders above all the rest of the people of Israel. So if there was somebody who could actually challenge Goliath, it would be Saul himself. But Saul was intimidated. Jonathan, his son, was likewise intimidated. And everybody else in the army of Israel was likewise intimidated. So nobody was stepping up against this nine-foot-nine giant. So David finally decided, I'm going to take the fight to him. And so David presents himself to King Saul. And as he presents himself to King Saul, there are two phrases that I would like you to note about the statement of Saul to David. First of all, he said, you are not able. You can't do it. Second thing that he said to David is, you are too young. That's the second thing he said. So not able and you are too young. Everyone must have thought that Goliath was too big, too experienced, too skilled to fight. But as far as David was concerned, he saw da Goliath, rather, David saw Goliath as too big to miss. That was his mentality. So soon afterward, David was appointed as a palace uh, musician after this victory to soothe the dark moods of King Saul. And he used the harp, of course, to do that. Now, it must have been around this time that David wrote the psalm. Now, how do we know that? Because in the Hebrew, you actually find a footnote. And the footnote is the Hebrew word mutlaben, which you and I do not see in our English translations. So that Hebrew word is actually a clue to us that what inspired David was that event when he fought Goliath. Mutlaben, by the way, means death of a champion, referring to the Philistine champion Goliath. Now, that background story in itself is already inspiring. But then, friends, as we take a look at Psalm 8, I hope that you will be inspired even more. So let's go to the first point at this time, and let's talk about God's majesty displayed with powerless man. And we find this in verses 1 and 2. But first of all, let's begin with verse 1. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
Now, the word majestic here is the Hebrew word ahda'ar, which means wide, great, high, and noble. Again, it means wide, great, high, and noble. In other words, the God that you and I worship is an awesome God. The God we serve is a God of splendor and a God of might. And as David was meditating upon the attributes of God, that is what he saw. He saw a majestic God. And I think it is very needful on our part as a congregation to be able to see the majesty of God in our lives. Because the greater our view of God, the greater our faith, the greater our worship, the greater our service to God. And that is why, again, a high view of God is always needful for those who consider themselves as people of God. And this is exactly what David saw. He saw God as majestic. His person and his power are awesome. And then he continues on and he says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Now God in his majesty has displayed his glory and his majesty in the heavens. As we gaze at creation, as we behold the sun, the moon, the stars, what do you and I see? We see the splendor of God. We see the greatness of God. We see the power of God. Last weekend, I was telling you about the fact that it is impossible for man to perceive that there is no God. He has to be able to perceive that there is God, that God exists because of creation. I think I mentioned to you the fact that the solar system in itself is a work of perfection. Why is it that planets do not bump into each other? Why is it that we are situated? Why is it that earth is situated in a place where the distance between earth and the sun is just perfect? Because if you and I were nearer to the sun, you and I would be burned. And if you and I, if earth was farther from the sun, then you and I would not be able to live. We would freeze to death. So that in itself tells you that there must be an infinitely wise creator that made this entire universe. The logic of cause and effect tells us that if earth is perfect the way it has been created, if the universe is perfect the way it has been created, then that means there must be a God. Now, God's majesty is displayed in the heavens, and it would be foolish for anyone to think that there is no God. Let me share to you an illustration. Sir Isaac Newton was looking on a miniature model of the solar system when his friend, who was an atheist, chanced upon him. And a friend of Newton said, My Newton, what an exquisite thing. Who made it for you? And Newton replied, 
nobody. The friend asked, nobody? And Newton replied, that's right. I said, nobody. All of these balls and cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together. And wonder of wonders, by chance, they began revolving in their set orbits in perfect timing. Now, what do you think Isaac Newton was doing? Well, he was sharing to this visitor the unexpressed argument that there is a God. And the God we serve is a majestic God. Amen? But here's one other thing I'd like you to note. God did not only display His splendor and His majesty here on earth. God did not just display His majesty and splendor in the heavens. But He has also displayed His majesty on man. And here is where we begin our first point. It says here in verse 2, From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Now, the adversaries and enemies here symbolize human strength in all of its arrogance and defiance against God. These people do not believe in relying and acknowledging God. They only rely on themselves and they believe that they are the ones who make their own destiny. Sadly, majority of the people in the world are like that. They are self-reliant. They are self-sufficient. They live lives that are independent of God. And they believe that they have a handle of life. They have a handle of everything that takes place in their lives. And they think that they can manage their own problems. They are people who believe that they have this mental toughness. They have this self-determination. And they believe in the dictum that if you work hard enough, you will achieve great success in your life. Now, not all of those things that they think about are wrong. But what is definitely wrong is their thinking that they can be independent of God. That they do not need God in their lives. Friends, you and I need to understand that we were not created by God to be independent of Him, but rather He created us to be dependent on Him at all times. Apart from Him, we can actually do nothing. And David was reflecting upon that victory that he had against Goliath. And he just realized that that mighty victory that he had over Goliath was not really his own doing. His victory was not because of his own strength, not because of his own skill set. He understood that God actually performed a miracle in his life. And that is how we need to be able to see our relationship with God. We need to see ourselves as dependent on Him. We need to see ourselves as merely branches 
And that apart from the vine, we cannot sustain ourselves. We cannot strengthen ourselves. We do not have the capacity and the power to continually and consistently be victorious in our lives. We need God. And my appeal to this congregation this morning is have that dependence on God. Humble yourself before the Lord every single day of your life and seek His face, seek His power, seek His presence in your life. Because the truth of the matter is apart from God's grace, our lives are really meaningless and purposeless. And we cannot achieve what God wants us to achieve apart from His power. So as David reflected Upon all these things, he could only conclude, again, notice what he says in verse 2. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. That's how David saw himself. He saw himself as an infant. He saw himself as a baby. And you and I know that infants and babes are helpless. They cannot survive on their own. They cannot even feed themselves. When they have to go to a particular place, their parents have to bring them. That that is the nature of babies. They are powerless. They need all the help. If they are going to survive, they need all the help from their parents and from their loved ones. And that is the truth. In so far as we are concerned, we need God. This is the point of this particular passage. When we talk about infants and babes, it symbolizes weakness and frailty and a humility that depends on God. May I ask you this morning, brothers and sisters, is that your heart? Is that how you view your relationship with God? Do you see yourself as needing God every single day and every single moment in your life? Friends, let me tell you, if that is how you view your relationship with God, you are in a good place. Because that is what brings pleasure to God. He wants us communing with Him. He wants us being intimate with Him. He wants us depending on Him humbling ourselves before Him. That is the best and safest place you can be in as a believer in Christ. Infants and babes here in this particular passage have greater strength than the adversaries and enemies. Why? Because their strength is in God. Where lies your strength, brothers and sisters? My prayer is that your strength is found in God. Again, when David was spending these words, he was thinking of his classic encounter with Goliath that made him a legend at that time. So I'd like to bring you back to that story because much of what we will see here in Psalm 8 is really a reflection of that particular event So we are going to go to that narrative which talks about the victory that David had over Goliath. And so let's read 1 Samuel 17 verse 41. It says, Then the Philistine came on 
and approached David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. Now what happened here was this Philistine giant, this nine foot nine giant was insulted. Why? Because he was expecting probably that King Saul would step up to the challenge. Because after all, he was the tallest among the people of Israel. Or maybe one particular champion, one seasoned veteran soldier from Israel would come out. But instead, here he was facing a 17-year-old teenager. And not only that, this guy was a cutie. Bible says here that he, was han- he had a handsome appearance. It's like Goliath came face to face with Justin Bieber. That's the scenario here. And he was insulted because he was thinking, what is this guy going to do against me? He doesn't even have an armor because remember, Saul wanted him to try out his armor and he did. David tried it, but it was too big for him. And he was not comfortable in the armor of Saul and that is why he took it off. And what he did was bring with him sticks and stones. Those were the only things that he brought before this Philistine giant. And so verse 43 reads to us, The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He was so angry because he was so insulted. It was like the army of Israel was saying, You know what? You consider yourself a great champion? All, you, all that will face you is this teenager. The only thing that, can, that you need is this teenager. Then David said to the Philistine, I'm sorry, verse 44 reads, The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted. You see, this was the thing that really challenged David. What challenged David was the fact that his God was taunted. His God was insulted. And David could not take it. He knew that there were others who were probably more qualified, more skilled in doing battle against this champion. But one of the things that David could not take was that the armies of Israel were allowing their God to be insulted and taunted as well. And David in his mind was saying, this cannot be. He cannot continually insult my God. My God is a majestic God. My God is a glorious God. My God is the real God. There is no other God. He has no rivals. The gods of the Philistines are false gods. So this nine foot nine giant dares to taunt my God. And David mustered enough courage to be able to face this giant because he would not allow that. 
Friends, can you see the heart of David here? This is the reason why he was called a man after God's own heart. His mind and his heart was occupied with God. He saw the greatness and the power of God in his life. And that is why he would not allow this Philistine soldier to insult his God. Continuing on, he says, David said, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Again, notice here what David was really trying to say. I'm not coming against you with my own power, but I am coming against you with the power of my Lord. Sure, I'm really a nobody. I'm not even an official soldier of the Israelite army. I don't have weapons, as you see. I don't have a sword. I don't, I don't have an armor. I don't have a shield. I don't have a helmet. I have nothing. I'm really an infant. I'm really just a babe. And you come to me with all that you have, defying my God. And the only thing I can boast about, David was saying, was the name of the Lord. That's the only thing I can boast about. God will strengthen me. God will empower me. Because I've honored His name. And that's why in verse 46, it says, This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. And I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This was the motivation of David, that they may know that there is a God in Israel. That is why he was a man of courage. That is why he was a man with God's strength. Why? Because his motive was the glory of God. He wanted God to be known all over the Middle East. And in verse 47, it says, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Again, that is so beautiful. The Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. The battle belongs to the Lord. And friends, I don't know if you are facing some adversity in your life. I do not know if you are failing a tremendous challenge in your life. I don't know if you are up against very powerful enemies in your life. Whatever your situation you, what you might be in, you might be feeling like an infant. You might be feeling like a babe. You might be feeling like David, powerless before a nine-foot-nine giant. But just like David, be encouraged by the fact that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? The battle belongs to the Lord.
Now here's how the scene played out. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. That David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. No hesitation. No fear. No intimidation. He was supremely confident, not in himself, but he was supremely confident in God. Verse 49, And David put his hand into his bag, and from it a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. This was really the most unorthodox thing to do. This was really child's play, so to speak. Imagine using a stone against a nine-foot-nine giant. But notice what happens. It says here in verse 49, And David put his hand into his back and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead, bull's eye. The stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. What a powerful story. What a powerful narrative. But you see, you see it everywhere in the Old Testament. God winning victory after victory after victory and using the most unorthodox methods, the weakest methods in fact. How did the wall of Jericho fall? The wall of Jericho fell because of the shouts of the people of Israel. That was how it fell. We see so many stories in the Bible. God delights in using weak people. God delights in using frail people. God delights in using people who are humble and completely dependent on Him. But God is also opposed to those who are proud. Those who think that they have a handle on life. Those who think that they are the captain of their own destiny. The Bible says that He opposes those who are proud, but He exalts those who are humble. Let it be, my brothers and sisters, that we humble ourselves before the Lord. Now, some of us might be skilled. Some of us might be resourceful. Some of us might be intelligent. Some of us might be well-educated. Some of us might be occupying a high place in society. My advice to you is do not rely on any of those things because those things ultimately at the end of the day will not be able to help you or deliver you. Paul himself was humbled by God. Paul was killed. Paul was educated. Paul was supremely intelligent. 
And yet, friends, God humbled him. God allowed him to have a thorn in the flesh. And what was the reason? The reason why God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh was to humble him. That he might depend on God at all times in his life. So if I am addressing certain people in the church who are educated, who are intelligent, who have many resources, do not depend on those things, but rather be a babe, but rather be an infant. Depend on God and God alone, and you will see the power of God. In the same way that David saw the power of God, you will see his power at work in your life. And hopefully, friends, that is what will happen to you. There was a cynic who once said, God is on the side of the big battalions. I beg to disagree. This is not true at all. All God needs in his battles are infants and babes. And so friends, be an infant. Be a babe. Be somebody who continually depends on the Lord. So we saw God's majesty, first of all, displayed with powerless man. Now in our second point in verses 3 to 5, we will see God's majesty displayed with undeserving man. Look at verse 3. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. You see, as a shepherd boy, this was what David continually did. By the way, the common verb for uh, consider here means to see, to behold, to take a look. That's what it means. Again, David was a shepherd boy, and it was a nightly thing for him to observe the heavens. Now, as I have mentioned to you, I've been to Israel, and a lot of portions in the Middle East and in Israel would be desert land. And some of you would probably say, well, desert is so boring. But let me just tell you, when you are in the desert, you see a peculiar kind of beauty. It is, it is a different kind of beauty. It might be barren, but definitely it is not dull and boring to be in the desert. It has a certain kind of beauty. And it becomes even more beautiful at night. Because in the desert, you have very few distractions. And you are forced to look up to the sky and behold the, behold the moon, behold the stars. And that was what David was talking about here. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. He was in awe of God's creation. Sadly, nowadays, we have too many distractions. We have many artificial lights. Lights coming from buildings, lights coming from, from lampposts, lights coming from, from cars and vehicles. 
So at times, we can't even see the beauty, the masterpiece of God's creation. I would like to probably recommend to some of us that you go to an isolated place and just allow yourself to behold the beauty of God's splendor displayed in creation. And I tell you, you will be in awe of God's creation. What you will see is a powerful and mighty God. Try counting the number of stars. You will not be able to count them. God created them all. And as you gaze at the moon, a reflection of the light coming from the sun, it is such a beautiful sight to behold. Most especially a full moon. What a sight to behold. So as he was gazing at the stars, as he was gazing at the moon, the only thing that David could think about, what a great and mighty God we have. What a great and mighty creator we have. And after that, he begins to reflect upon God's dealings with his soul. And that is why in, in humility, look at what he says here in verse 4. He says, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? He, he was in awe. In asking the question, what is man, David uses a rather uncommon term uh, for the word man. It is the Hebrew word enosh, which comes from the Hebrew verb, which means to be weak and frail. Once again, David does not lose sight of who he was. He saw himself initially as an infant and a babe, and this time he sees himself as frail and weak. In other words, this word, enosh, speaks of man in his mortal weakness. Now, the word son of man is also interesting in Hebrew. It literally means son of Adam, which comes from the Hebrew word Adama, which means dust. So again, David was looking at himself, and he was saying, Lord, you're a God of splendor. You're a God of majesty. And yet, Lord, you have been graciously dealing with my soul. You have been granting me favor upon favor, grace upon grace in my life. And David was thinking, Lord, why are you doing that? Why are you thinking of me? Why are you taking thought of me? I'm a nobody. I'm weak. I'm frail. I am but dust. I came from dust, and to dust I shall return. Lord, why do you care for us? This is really the picture, and it is a wonderful picture. And in my own life, in my own personal testimony, as I have seen the goodness of God in my life, as I have seen Him provide for me, bless me, give me benefits and grace in my life, I cannot help but say, Lord, how is it that you do this? How is it that you care? This was the kind of feeling 
that David had, he was amazed with the grace of God. And grace should actually amaze us, brothers and sisters, if you and I understand that you and I are totally undeserving because we are sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God. The reason why our Savior was nailed to the cross was because of every single one of our sins. That's the reason why He was nailed to the cross. The cross would not have been present if not for our sins. And yet if you really think about it, God thought about us. He cared for us enough to volunteer Himself to die on the cross so that He could pay for our sins. The justice of God could be served. The holiness of God could be satisfied. And so that He could make us His own sons and daughters. What amazing grace that is. And that's not all. There's food on the table. There's a roof on top of us. God provides for our daily needs. He heals us of our diseases. He protects us. He sustains us. He provides comfort. He gives us counsel. He strengthens us. He encourages us. He builds us up. He's always there for us. There is never a time that He abandons us nor deserts us. He's always there. He's always present. He's always helping us out. He is always our deliverer. And during times when we feel that we are alone, what comfort we get from His very presence. Oh, friends, how blessed we are. And that should really humble us. That should really cause us to, to other words like David who said, What is man? What, who am I? That you take thought of me. Just like David, we should be saying, And who am I, Lord, that you should care for me? But that's the nature of God. God is a good God. God is a loving God. God is a caring God. What a wonderful God we have. Amen. What a majestic, glorious God we have. The point here is, David was saying, in all your greatness, why do you even take notice of me, a man who is really nothing? Oh, how humbling this really is. Now, there are two works of God which we will see. What do we see? First of all, we see God takes thought of us. He remembers us. God knows us. By name. The Bible says he knows his sheep by name. I recall what Charles Swindle said one time regarding his congregation, and I'm sure that he has thousands of people in his church. And this is what he said I embarrassingly confess that I have even found it difficult to remember all their names in a hurried moment. In a big church, it's really very difficult to remember names. Sometimes you see a familiar face and 
and your name, or rather the name of that person is at the tip of your tongue. You just know who this guy is, but you just forget. Thank God that in church, we call each other brother and sister. Because when we forget, all we can say is, hi, brother, and hi, sister. And that's fine. But you see, let me just tell you this. God knows each one of us by name. And not only does He know us by name, He knows us intimately. He knows the inner man. He knows our inner thoughts. He knows our affections. He knows our heart. He knows our anxieties. He knows our fears. He knows everything that occupies our minds and our hearts. God knows us intimately. The God that we serve is not an impersonal God. He is a very personal God. Think about this, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we don't even think about God, right? God thinks about us. Think about that. Let me say it again. Sometimes we don't even think about God. An entire day passes, we don't even think about God. Sometimes a whole week passes, we don't even think about God. Sometimes for those who backslide, for one whole month, they're not thinking about God. For one whole year, they're not thinking about God. For some people who have gotten into the depths of backsliding, they don't, in, they don't even think about God for a number of years. But here's where you and I see the difference between us and God. Well, sometimes we do not want to think about God or even think about God. Think about this. He thinks about us all the time. Amen? Isn't our God a majestic God? Amen? Isn't God's majesty displayed in undeserving man? Yes. Here's the second thing. Not only does He think about us, He takes care of us. God pays attention to us. And I think about this, how unfaithful we are at times with God. God takes care of everything in our lives. I was sharing to the people in our congregational prayer and fasting a post-resurrection appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ when His disciples went back to fishing. It's interesting. If my memory serves me right, that was the third time that the Lord appeared to the disciples after He had been resurrected. And they still thought of going back to fishing. Perhaps they were thinking that they were big-time failures. They had denied the Lord. They had abandoned the Lord at the time the Lord needed them. They just fled from Him, and Jesus was left to suffer alone at the cross. And so they were probably thinking to themselves, we're not worthy. Why should we even serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Why should we even serve the Son of God? We failed Him. We betrayed Him. And yet the interesting thing is, even though 
they went back to fishing. The Lord reappears again before them. And the amazing thing was, not only did the Lord speak to them words of comfort and encouragement, most especially to Peter. Do you know that the Lord even cooked breakfast for them? Do you know that the Lord served them one by one? Now, this was the Lord Jesus Christ in His glorified state. This was the Lord Jesus Christ in His glorified body. This was no longer the suffering Savior. This was now the resurrected King. This was now Jesus in His full glory. It was no longer the veiled glory that He had when He was serving humanity in the three years of His public ministry. This was Jesus unveiled in all His glory. Yet what was He doing? Cooking breakfast for the disciples. After cooking breakfast, serving them one by one. Do you know God still does that today? Do you know that our God, our Jesus, still serves us today? Every time you and I pray and God answers our prayers, what do you think is happening? That's the king of kings serving you. You're asking him something. You're pleading for something. And he hears that. And guess what? He answers your prayer. That's the king serving you. That's the king loving you. Every single day, we walk back home safely from work. And what do you think just happened? The Lord protected you and preserved you all throughout the day so that you could go back home safely. That's the king serving you. Oftentimes, we do experience healing from the Lord. We're crying out to God for His mercy. And at times, He just performs a miracle, He heals us. What do you think just happened? That's the Lord serving us. So not only does God take thought of us, not only is God thinking about us, He takes care of us. And if we think about it, what did we do or what have we done or what have we accomplished that God should be mindful of us, that God should take care of us? What is it that we have done to merit His favor? What is it that we have done to merit His grace in our lives? The answer is nothing. In fact, most of the time, we're not thinking about Him. Most of the time, we're not even 
caring about the things of the kingdom when the Bible, in fact, says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Many times we're not seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness at all. And yet, God in his grace, God in his mercy still thinks about us. He still cares about us. And daily in our lives, we experience his loving kindness, his faithfulness, and his grace. And what do you call that? You call that God's majesty. Amen? Displayed in undeserving man. And it gets better. Look at verse 5. Yet you have made him, who's him? That's us, that's man. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. In spite of the vast difference between God and man, in spite of the transcendence of God that he is over, above, beyond us, in spite of that great distance, David declares that the Lord had set his love upon us and would one day give redeemed humanity a place of dignity and importance in the world. That's what it means when it says, you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. Think about this. Think about this. God has made us a little, a little lower than God. Isn't it true that there's such a big, majestic distance between us and God? Isn't it so true that God is so transcendent that on our own He is actually unreachable? Isn't it true that the Bible says, that the heavens and the earth are contained in God. God is bigger than the universe. God is bigger than the galaxies. That's how big He is. And yet, think about this. He made man a little lower than God. Hallelujah. Amen. We are just a little lower than God. Charles Darwin had degraded our dignity when he said that man is the most efficient animal ever to emerge on earth. Well, that figures because after all, he's an atheist. He says, man is the most efficient animal ever to emerge on earth. That's how he views man, an animal, the most efficient animal. But as far as God is concerned, we are a little lower than God. Hallelujah. Amen. We are just a little lower than God. And then it gets even better. It says, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You know what that means? In the future, listen up. In the future, you and I will be kings. One of the titles of Jesus is he is the king of kings. Who do you think are the other kings? That's you and I. 
The Lord is called the Lord of Lords. Who are the other Lords? That's you and I. Us. Insignificant, puny, tiny, little beings considered irrelevant by the world. One day, we will rule this world. Amen? And that is why we are just a little lower than God. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a big hand. Amen. Say to your neighbor, you will be king. Say to your other neighbor, you will be king. Now I know you're thinking you don't look like one. But you will be one. You know what that's called? That's called grace. Amen. Thank God for grace. Amen. Thank God for grace. I don't know how we would survive at all without grace. So we saw God's majesty displayed in powerless man. We also saw God's majesty displayed in undeserving man. We go to the third and last point. We see God's majesty displayed with man created from nothing but made to rule everything. Let's read verse 6. It says here, You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Again, what David is talking about here is our destiny. This is our future. Our future is, is God will make us rule over all the works of His hands, over all of creation. He will put all things under our feet. After all, dominion was something that was given to Adam and Eve. He was supposed to rule over all of creation, but dominion was lost by Adam because of their sin. But here's good news. Because God can never be frustrated. The sovereignty of God can never be frustrated. Dominion will one day be restored to man over this planet. Christ regained for us what Adam had lost. Christ rules over creation and we will one day reign with Christ. Think about that, brothers and sisters. Think about the goodness of God. Amen? Think about that. Think about that long and hard. Sometimes our problem is when we don't linger long on thoughts that we should linger long on. Think long and hard. Do you think you deserve to rule the world? Do you think you deserve to reign over earth and over all of God's creation? Think about it. If you think, yes, I deserve to be king, you're crazy. Nobody deserves it. And yet in the goodness of God, in the love of God, one day we will have dominion. And I know right now you're not feeling it. You're not feeling it at all. Maybe 
in your office, people bully you. Maybe where you are working, people laugh at you, tease you, consider you insignificant and irrelevant. And every time you open your mouth about the Lord Jesus Christ, every time you open your Bible, there's a smirk. They're mocking you. They ridicule you. Well, let me tell you. One day, we will have the last laugh. Let me share to you the story of Queen Elizabeth. During World War II, the princess of England was then a teenager. And as soon as she was old enough, she asked her father, King George VI, to allow her to join the armed forces and serve Britain as others were doing. Her, her father, rather, finally allowed her to join the auxiliary territorial service as a private. She had a superior officer who took pleasure in bossing and bullying her. It was, Private Windsor, do this. Private Windsor, do that. And Elizabeth would say, yes, Sergeant. Yes, Sergeant, was all Elizabeth could say. She was made a little lower, a little lower than this commissioned officer for the sake of her service to her people. But here's what happened. On February 6, 1952, she received word that her father was dead. From that time on, she was Queen of England. She was no longer Private Windsor to be baited and badgered by a small non-commissioned officer. She was Her Royal Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. My dear brothers and sisters, that is going to be our story. Amen? That is going to be your story. Hallelujah. Verses 7 and 8, all of God's creation will be under us. And this is expressed in verses 7 and 8, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. Of course, this is not all comprehensive, but the point is this, we will rule over all of God's creation. God will delegate that authority to us. And that's why if you think about this, you know, what was happening here with David was he was in awe. He was, he was gazing at the moon. He was gazing at the stars. He was gazing at all of God's majesty and all of God's splendor. And he was recalling all of the events in his life. He was recalling that time when he defeated Goliath. And maybe at that time when he was writing this particular psalm, he could not believe it. Lord, that was amazing. How did I beat that nine foot nine giant? How did I slay him? I was just a teenager, Lord. I didn't have any armor at all. I didn't have any sword or shield nor helmet. How did I do that? I'm just an infant. I'm just a babe. And yet, Lord, what an amazing thing that I was able to defeat that giant. 
And the story continues on because as I mentioned to you, he was called upon by King Saul to be part of the royal court as a musician. God was now promoting David. And of course, the story had not yet been completed, but even then, David was seeing the grace of God in his life. And he was thinking, Lord, you're so good. You're so amazing. I don't deserve this, Lord. I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm nothing. David, by the way, was the youngest son. And yet, God chose him. Not only to be a shepherd, God chose him to be the shepherd of Israel. To be the king of Israel. And when we think about that, we're really amazed. There's one other thought that comes to me when I meditate on verse 7 and 8. Let's just read this again. It says, All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas, all of that will be under our dominion. Sadly, right now, in some places in the world, animals are considered superior to men. In fact, in India, where Hinduism is practiced, cows are considered sacred. That's why maybe that's where the expression holy cow came from. Anyway, let me tell you a true story, which is really tragic. One time, this happened in the streets of India. One man was driving his car, and he was probably driving at a very fast, fast pace. It so happened that there was a cow that was crossing the street. And then, on the other side, there was also a boy, a little boy, who was crossing the street. The problem was, he was driving so fast, and he knew that even if he stepped on the brakes, it would be too late. Either he hits the cow, or he hits the boy. But actually, he had a choice. He had a choice whether to just hit the cow, or if not, hit the boy. Guess whom he chose to hit and run over? The boy. Not the cow. The boy. And you think about that and you meditate on this particular passage. Sometimes we think about the stupidity of men. And that's exactly what happens when you're proud and arrogant and you refuse to accept the revelation of God. That is what happens. It makes you stupid and foolish. If only the Hindus would not worship these cows, instead make them corned beef, that would alleviate a lot of the hunger. And there is a lot of hunger. There's a famine taking place in India. A lot of people would be fed with corned beef. 
But the stupidity of man does not allow that. And oh, oh, how you and I should be thankful that we are in the right place. You know what that place is? That place is the sphere of life in Christ. How blessed you and I are that we are believers in Christ. And that's why verse 9 ends. And it ends in, in the proper way. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Hallelujah. Amen. That is the only proper response for all the love, for all the love and attention that God pours out on us. I like to end this session with a little exercise. I'd like to go back to Psalm 8, verse 4. Here's what I'd like you to do. Instead of saying, what is man? I'd like you to replace the word man with your name. All right? So if your name is June, for example, say this. What is June that you take thought of him? And then replace the Son of Man with your name. If your name is Albert, for example, say, and, and Albert, that you care for him. And you know what? If you do that, that's really the heart of God. So can we do that together? All right? I'm not going, I'm just going to say what is blank, and then you say your name. I'm not going to say my name because... I have a mic, so you say it on your own, all right? So can we do that together? All right, here we go. One, two, say this. What is, say it, say your name out loud. He, let, let everybody hear your name, all right? Don't use another name, by the way. You won't go to heaven. All right, here we go. What is? That you take thought of him. And the end, say it out loud, end, end, that you care for him. Think about that long and hard. That's wonderful. But this is exactly the reason why we, redeemed of the Lord, should say, O oh Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we stand amazed that how you have blessed us. How in our powerlessness you became our power and our strength. And Lord, we thank you that though we are undeserving, you granted us favor and grace. 
And Lord, it just blows our minds that one day we will rule this earth. One day we will reign together with you. And so, Lord, here's our prayer. And here's my prayer for the church, Lord. Deepen our love for you, O oh God. Deepen our love for you. We, we have not loved you enough as we should. Allow us to sacrifice more because we have not sacrificed enough. Allow us to serve you more because we have not served you enough. Allow us to worship you more with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength because we have not worshipped you and loved you enough. I pray, Lord, that you will create a deep conviction in our hearts, Lord. May we see grace in all of its dimensions. In spite of our being puny, tiny, little people, yet, Lord, you have just been so gracious. And I pray, Father, that you will really melt our hearts this morning. Melt it, O oh God. Melt it, Lord, so that we see you the way David saw you. We see you as a God of majesty and a God of splendor. Don't allow our hearts to get out of this place cold unaffected. Lord, only you can change our hearts. And in one moment, Lord, in one moment, you could revive us. In a single moment, you can change the way we think, the way, the way we perceive things. In a moment, Lord, you can change our priorities. Lord, bring that. Let that happen, oh God. Let, let that happen right now. Lord, let there be a desperation in our hearts. Lord, deepen our hunger and our thirst for you, oh Lord. You care for us. You think about us all the time, all the time, Lord. 24-7, you're always thinking about us. And you're always thinking about how to serve us, how to take care of us, how to love us, how to bless us. And Lord, how can we be so ungrateful that we don't even think about you? We don't care about your kingdom. Lord, change that. Change that, Lord. Please, change that this morning. Give us new hearts. Give us new hearts, oh God. Give us hearts, Lord, that, that seek you and love you. 
and remove the veil, Lord, from our eyes. Take it out, Lord. Allow us to just see you. Oh, Lord, thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity as well to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings, Lord. Use them, Lord, for the glory of your holy name. And bless us, Lord, not because we're greedy and selfish, but because we want your name to be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's rise from our seats, please.